This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Welcome to episode 392 of the Yellow Airpods. I'm your host, Stefan Wutzko, and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund's 4-2 win against Union Berlin, and we will preview Marco Rose's return to his former club as BVB traveled to Borussia Mönchengladbach on match day 6. For all that and more joins me Konstantin Eckner. Hello, Konstantin. How are you doing? Hello, Stefan. I'm doing quite well, I guess. <laughs> you guess? You don't know? I, I believe. I assume. <laughs> I just, right. I just understood to be uh, me being doing quite well, <laughs> reportedly. <laughs> I can't Allegedly. confirm nor deny, all right. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it, I'll take it. Uh, yeah, it's good to have you here because, uh, of course, Borussia Dortmund right now uh, do sit in third place behind Bayern Munich and VfL Wolfsburg. They just grabbed their fourth win of this Bundesliga season. In between, they had a 2-1 win away to Besiktas. And uh, yeah, there is lots to discuss, I guess, with the new coach at the home, especially with you, Constantine. Uh, maybe a bit more about the grander development and the you know changes that Rose may or may not have implemented. But uh, before we do that, uh, I guess we will just listen to the commentary uh, of what unveiled on a Sunday afternoon at the Westfalenstadion. Hello. Torgen Hazard in a minute, but first we will see Erling Braut, Haaland, he's done it from an impossible angle! Oh man, Yeah, great game, two goals of the season contenders, but uh, Dortmund were 3-0 up and uh, they let Union Berlin, who themselves looked uh, pretty tired after their uh, conference league game against Prague, uh, and then Dortmund had to kill it off again via a completely... I don't know if you want to call it a wonder strike, uh, but sort of was. Uh, Constantine, what are your thoughts on this particular game? Uh, I liked it uh, overall. I think it was an exciting match, of course, if you are just uh, uh, one of the furious who wanted to be entertained. Um, I guess that was kind of a match you wanted. Um, from Dortmund's perspective, all things considered, I thought it was a decent performance um liked it that they tried some things out with race on the on the right side again um and and marlin on the left so a little bit of an of an tweak there again um so yeah witzel in his uh in his natural position natural role uh, i liked as well and yeah on, on Jung berlin or um 
I guess, I mean, they are beatable this this year, um, and they are still a tough opponent uh, because they are quite clever in terms of how they set up their strategic approaches to certain matches they you know they, they played against Leverkusen, Gladbach and, and Hoffenheim before uh, that match against Dortmund against three other teams that are ambitious at least I mean we will talk about Gladbach and their issues but still and, and Union um, stayed clear there and, and didn't get beaten against these teams so I guess you could make the case that they are you know, a tough opponent just for anyone in the Bundesliga so um, yeah beating them is a nice nice way to set yourself up for at least you know uh, establishing yourself in the in the top three or so um i don't know what else to say i guess uh overall uh, all things considered was a was a decent performance and i think we um i mean there are still some defensive issues um <laughs> especially with set pieces I think, yeah. <laughs> like every other set or every other set pieces is basically see, not see, This, is, this is why you, why I brought you on here for the analysis of <laughs> finding out that someone has a set piece of problem. S- yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, I, I know that's a revelation to anyone. Um, but I, I know, yeah. I mean, Dortmund they have a set piece problem. Uh, it's quite sad, and um, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. <laughs> no, I, I mean, <laughs> at, at this point, it's like it's it, it's it's getting to comical level of like uh, tomfoolery in a way. <laughs> like, yeah, like um, like I said, they must be training conceding set pieces because yes. you cannot be so proficient at conceding set pieces without actively trying to to do it on on a training ground. That's my only theory I have that they. Just do it so uh, to make games interesting or so. Yeah, I I mean overall, what I would say for the first fifty five minutes, pretty much un- until Dortmund scored their third goal, um, and which was an own goal by Mar- Marvin Friedrich. Uh, but nevertheless, I thought Dortmund uh, played a really great game. Um, just because. All right, let's let's maybe uh, forget about the first fifteen seconds or so where Thomas Meunier was super lucky. That uh, I think Avoni was uh, was just like marginally offside, but apart from that, uh, Dortmund scored uh, quite early, uh, ten minutes in. Rafael Guerrero with the absolutely ridiculous shot. I think he said later that it was uh, the most beautiful goal he scored in his career, and uh, yeah, I could agree with that. It was really a stunning goal. But I think that set Dortmund up quite nicely. Then uh, you know there there was not much. Uh, coming from Union Berlin in this entire time and eventually we had this amazing cross by Thomas Meunier I think his third assist on the bounce to Erling Haaland who now has scored about as many headers uh, in this season as in uh, like 72 games before namely two and uh, yeah that's a very positive development we saw the chef's kiss uh, by Marco Rose on his touchline uh, directing it I think at Meunier for this particular cross and uh, yeah then Dortmund after the halftime uh, yeah didn't really let up uh, although I, I want to say it, it was it was a game of energy conservation in like the for, for the most part it felt like Dortmund weren't really pushing Union Berlin too hard and Union Berlin were quite comfortable in uh, you know <laughs> letting Dortmund have the ball and just waiting for a mistake but uh, for the most part Dortmund didn't really make mistakes that was until I guess the uh, what was it like fifty six minutes or so. Uh, was Fischer I think has to be commended for bringing on Kevin Behrens and Cedric Teuchert in the fifty fifth minute because that was like three minutes after uh, Dortmund made it three nothing and uh, with that 
it was sort of a signal that Union Berlin weren't quite done yet. And uh, yeah, I think the the way the penalty was created was maybe a bit unlucky from Dortmund's perspective because it was just a cross into the box and Dortmund just couldn't deal with it. So yeah, that was uh, a bit stupid, also a bit clumsy from Axel Witzel, to be honest. But uh, yeah, it brought Union Berlin right back into the game and then, uh, you know... Uh, it felt like Dortmund were once again not trying to push for a goal, but they were pretty happy to just like play the ball among their centre backs and whatnot, and you know have a lot of empty possession, if you will. So the, the I guess the, the hunt for goals was sort of over, and they just wanted to play down the clock. And you know I, I don't think this is something that Dortmund uh, can do for for too long. And uh, eventually you concede a corner kick, and when that happens, you might concede a goal, as uh, Andreas Vogelsammer then proved. Uh, I think it was another substitute. I think by then Urs Fischer actually made all five substitutions he brought in uh, Haraguchi, Endo and Vogelsammer also. So all, I would say, rather attacking moves. And uh, I think Union Berlin were rewarded for it. And if it went for Haaland's ridiculous lob the last 10 minutes or so, I'm sure would have been uh, quite contentious and I wouldn't have ruled out uh, Union Berlin then grabbing an equalizer as Dortmund would have panicked. Um, Konstantin, is this sort of uh, what happened this game that Dortmund you know, felt their legs a little bit after Besiktas and uh, I want to say the same was true for Union Berlin because I, I thought they were not really that great for this entire game either. I thought they were pretty lackluster as well. I've seen Union Berlin be way more aggressive and be way more, uh, you know, yeah, pressurizing on 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 the playmakers on on the ball carriers. Uh, I, I guess so. I mean, Union they were also one man down against Slavia uh, in the Europa Conference League for quite some time. So, um, I mean, that will that will cost you, um, especially if you then have to play a, couple, a few days later. Uh, so, I guess they were at, at a little bit of a disadvantage or at a considerable disadvantage. Uh, not to make excuses for them now, but still, um, because they have such a physical style, especially against um, possession-based teams. Like Dortmund, uh, like Hoffenheim, and like Leverkusen. If, if we look at, uh, at the previous matches, um, so yeah, because they have such a such a physical style, usually, um, and try to play a high press, you know, even engage their wing backs in in early pressing. Um, what do you usually see? I, I I think it's tough to do against Dortmund in general, um, but then being tired. And having most of your players that also played in the Europa Conference League match, um, then on the field, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't really, I think, possible to do what they usually would do or would have done. Um, and also some of the, I mean, what Dortmund did well was, uh, for in, for instance, like Taivo Avoni, which is one of their key players. Um, and they really were able to neutralize him, you know, not really getting, uh, letting him have the time to receive balls because usually, I mean, he's not the best technician. He's a little bit like Holland, in my opinion, like <laughs> a light version, of course. Um, but he's not the best technician. But once he has, he gets the ball and he, he has time to, you know, make a move and move forward or advance uh, place, then he's really strong and it's really tough to separate for him from the ball. But Dortmund were uh, covering him quite nicely. So I think that was, that was a key component to um, essentially just cutting the legs of uh, Union's attack 
Um, I mean, you never really be able to basically neutralize Max Cruiser, but you can do it with Avonii and with the other strikers they have, Barons and, and Vogelsammer. Uh, both both came in um, in the second half, but Avonii is probably their, you know, their crown jewel in terms of the strikers. Um, and they were really able, Dortmund were really able to neutralize him most of the time. And that's why he went off, I think, the 55th minute or so. So it was <laughs> more of a short, uh, short night for him. Um, yeah, I, I guess overall it was... Although, I mean, if you look at the scoreline, two goals conceded, there were some clumsy moments here and there. Uh, that was the sad piece situation where, like, just, I mean, it was ridiculous defending, if you're, if you're being honest. It wasn't really, it wasn't actually that 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 good of a corner kick by Gieselmann. It was just, you know, I mean, it was quite accurate uh, down in the uh, down in the box, uh, close to the penalty spot, uh, a little bit in front of the penalty spot, but still. Um, but, I mean, it wasn't really an outrageous corner kick or anything, but just, you know, defenders are jumping not high enough and then focus on more stare. Um, it's, yeah, that's kind of what you have to expect. And then there were some clumsy moments in um, in, in regular situations. Uh, but overall, I think defensively was a was a good performance. And and on the other side of the ball, um, yeah, there are some moments like, of of course, with, with Guerrero, uh, really nice touch there uh, for the, for the uh, opening goal. Also, I think like what you saw in the lead up to the goal was uh, how Marlon and Guerrero and a few others, how they really were engaging into this uh, kind of pocket place, you know, like really uh -huh. moving into or in between uh, Union's lines and, and keeping the ball there, um, you know, not being dispossessed there. So I think that's also something. I mean, yes, of course, everyone talks about Guerrero then because like it was an outrageous shot, but. There was a there was something else to it. I think like if you if you observe it, um, so that, that's that's something I liked. Um, and then the the third goal, the Marvin Twitter's own goal, um, I liked because that was like textbook Dortmund transition fast pace attack, uh, especially with Bellingham. Uh, who had the pre-assist essentially, um, and you know Bellingham being like the guy, uh, kind of player who can really push these uh, transition attacks or, or you know really fast-paced attacks forward, um, and that was textbook Dortmund for this season at least. Um, so I also like that. Just you know, just in terms of the build-up of the goals, uh, not yeah. so much like that that final product, um, because if if we are looking at the at what they can do in terms of uh, setting up these situations in the box, um, we had really we had one one situation you know set up in between the lines number one was a, co a course to the second goal and the third one was a was a transition attack and the fourth goal was just a long ball i mean yeah of course there's this holland like uh get, pu pushing his body still in the 80 83rd minute i think um so yeah overall it was like the uh, total variety of like dortmund attacking tools so that's that's something i liked also about the match yeah, I mean, Dortmund might have uh, even scored another one. Uh, Marc Reus, I think, hit the mm. post with a free kick um, in the 86 minutes or so. But, um, yeah, I think the um, the, the lob of Haaland was uh, absolutely ridiculous. But at the same time, uh, it was also a really great ball by Mas Hummels who read the situation well. Because I think he said after the game that he didn't want to play into Union's pressing. So... <laughs> I don't want to say he lumped it forward because uh, there was some communication between him and Haaland and uh, I think the read overall of uh, where the defender was was pretty good. And then uh, Haaland, almost at full speed, I want to say, uh, seeing that the goalkeeper is a bit far off his line and uh, yeah, the way uh, he lobbed it over Andreas Lute, who, who was... Who, 
I don't know. I, I feel like he could have saved it. He just didn't know how to because the way you must save this ball is like jumping sort of headfirst into the post. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you can't save it. I, I, I don't really know, but uh, it, it looked a little awkward. Um, but yeah, what a what a freaking what a freaking ball! Um, yeah, but uh, what what you just said about um, the the way the uh, own goal was forced? I mean, the uh, pass by Bellingham to Royce. I think we have seen this sort of through ball five, six, seven times already this season. Dortmund uh, have this sort of pattern all the time. And I mean, it was another really good performance by Bellingham. He led the team in pressures. I think he had nineteen according to FB ref and um yeah he is uh, always in the thick of it somehow and uh, in between that when he wins the ball he also shows some uh, nice trickery so um yeah uh, super impressive that he is this consistent so early in the season i really hope he can keep it up and uh, improve um, improve on that even and uh, yeah it's it's weird because on the one one hand, I really am happy with how Dortmund performed for the most part, and then I'm really unhappy with how this game sort of slipped out of their hands. Um, because the 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 first part where I'm happy with their performance is that they did control it really well for for the most part, and then you know the the sloppiness and the giveaways really did often result out of you know own possession where they weren't even really that pressured it was just like unclean touches you know Marius Wolf I think had a had a bad giveaway where he wanted to pass it back and uh, it went to a new Berlin player and, and just so uh, completely unnecessary situations that brought Union Berlin back into the game that on their own volition didn't really have that much to contribute so um this is this is really vexing and Dortmund now uh, we looked it up, have conceded 11 goals. There are only three other sides, I think, or four other sides that have conceded as many. Uh, or more even with, uh, of course, Bochum and Fürth being two of them. And I think Stuttgart and uh, Berlin are the other two. Um, yeah, Konstantin, what are we making of uh, the... Uh, I, I think Dortmund are averaging above two goals uh, conceded per games. You know, their uh, expected goals against this season in the Bundesliga is 1.44. Um, that's not good, uh, and it's, you know, if you compare it with the previous season, obviously larger sample size, but that was already a bad number. It was 1.19, you know, per 90 minutes. You know, if you if your expected goals against this above one goal, I, I don't think that's a good stat. Um, so how do you think Dortmund go about in uh, solving this issue? Um, I think like Haaland uh, receives an, you know, endless supply of energy bars and <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> you just have to, you know, so you're set saying the score don't line. just have to so, outscore. I mean, they, they, yeah, they have also... to just outscore themselves, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> they, have to, they have to outscore their uh, set-piece defending. Yeah, I was uh, going to say because Haaland is also Dortmund's best set-piece defender right now. You know, I think most of the time Dortmund had out the ball. If they manage to clear it, it's it's usually Haaland who clears it. And uh, with the uh, well, Vogelsammer goal, uh, the ball just flew over Haaland's head. And then uh, it was Thomas Meunier. I think he even claimed the blame for this one. Uh, but uh, yeah, Haaland, uh, if, if, if you manage to bring the ball over Haaland, then uh, that's, uh, you know, likely a goal apparently. 
But uh, yeah, don't want to have Now there's the question. Could he stand on Marlin's sh uh, shoulders? <laughs> I don't think... I, I don't know. I mean, Daniel Marlin is pretty strong physically, but is he that strong? Yeah, I mean, he has, he has like the... He has a little bit of the... Not Shakiri-like uh, body type going, but you know what I mean. Like, he's, yeah, yeah. he's kind of thick. So maybe he can, maybe he can shoulder Haaland uh, uh, at, at defending set, you know, during the defensive set pieces. Um... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I actually going into this season, I expected Dortmund to have some defensive troubles, um, but I still thought like that the against Union was decent. Um, you know, because I mean, there were some clumsy, some clumsy moments here and there. But uh, what can you do? I mean, of, oh, uh, almost uh, you, throwing my microphone I, I, away. <laughs> it wasn't a barrage I, of. I, I, have you have you fallen? No, no, I'm just pulling the cable, whether that's connected to the microphone and uh, gravity is almost... You're pulling the cables, I'm pulling the strings. Uh, <laughs> there you go. No, but I mean, realistically, like, look at the back four. It was Guerrero, uh, Hummels, Akanji, Munier. That's essentially your best lineup. For the back for for the back four, I mean, you can argue maybe Moray is better than Munier. I don't know, but I I don't I don't see Moray as like this huge upgrade to Munier. Not <laughs> as, this type as of Munier, as... at least. Sorry, I said not this type of uh, Thomas Munier. No, I, yeah, I yes, of course. I mean, there were some times, uh, uh, or has been some have been some times during Munier's stint at Dortmund so far where thought like yes, of course. I mean, just use anyone else other than him, uh, but. I don't really see like a, a huge upgrade right now to that kind of back four. I mean, yes, I, I don't know. There's like a hypothetical uh, question there. What about Zagadou or so? But I mean, Zagadou is always injured or so whatever. I mean, <laughs> it's not worth it to, to discuss it. Uh, Pongracic is like a good backup or a good role player. He can play there, uh, but he's not an update. Uh, Gurejo is undisputedly is the best left back. Uh, Dortmund half. Um, so I mean, there you go. Like, and then and then if you look at like Witzel, Dahoud, Bellingham, that's basically uh, also in terms of like in terms of protection, right? Yeah, in terms of like central midfield, that's like your, the most protective uh, lineup you can have. Um, I mean, sure, you could put in there Emre Can instead of Dahoud or something, but I mean, <laughs> of course, I mean that's not balanced anymore. Then you are just protective and nothing else. So I think like if you look at the lineup, it was like it was almost like your best lineup um in terms of tactics i don't think like there is a there's a case to be made that like i know rose needs another two months or so before his system works i think his system already works i don't i don't think he's he's like complaining about um i don't know some structural difficulties i think like yes of course you can tweak a few things but overall it's it's how it is right now and how it will be for the foreseeable future at least um so yeah um <laughs> i guess that's what you have to deal with, uh, or what you what you will see um sure i mean it would be it would be helpful if like akanji or hummels they go through some you know Mon um, some months of like just you know monster performances a mon or a monster performance after monster performance but um, that might happen because like Akanji has had these kind of you know phases where he's really really strong um, as a defender and Hummels can be also like that um, but on average that's kind of how uh, what you what you will see from Dortmund. You just have to hope that like the moments of like individual errors um, are down to a minimum. Um, that's that's a hope. 
but you will always have some of these moments where you think like, what the F is actually going on? And then defending set pieces, yeah, I mean, maybe they could improve there, but like, really? <laughs> I don't know. Are they are they learning something new at this at this age? <laughs> I mean, it fe it feels like like some kind of 60, uh, 36 year old athlete who is just trying to learn something new. To essentially, give up. It will never happen. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm not sure what exactly the issue is. Uh, I haven't really uh, looked into it. What Dortmund are particularly doing wrong uh, compared to others. Um, but but that's uh, the that's the crazy thing, right? I mean, they they don't really do anything wrong in particular it's more like well i mean there was this there was this time where they had a set piece malaise and they switched it from man marking to zonal marking and all of the sudden yeah, it, it went better but uh yeah i, I feel like uh, yeah but, but right now they are they are usually what you see in the bundesliga and i think in most top leagues at least uh, at least the top leagues i follow um <laughs> you, you usually see like this this uh, man marking yeah, zonal marking mix yeah, uh, like a hybrid, yes. Um, but you see a lot of man-to-man -man or man marking in the, you know, in the in in the radius of like eleven yards or something, you know, right in front of the goal. And like, yeah, I mean, they just lose these duels. They just, you know, jump not high enough or whatever, like uh, basic things. But it happens all over and over again. So it's it's weird uh, to be honest. Like it's really weird. Um, but it also maybe to make make a final point on that one Dortmund like individually they are not the best defensive team I mean even like the two center backs are not the best pure defenders um, Guerrero is not like a good pure defender Munier is not really a good pure defender uh, even Axel Witzel is not like a good pure defender so <laughs> like even if you look at it like the, your, your five defensive outfield players or most defensive outfield players, like they aren't like these, like individually, uh, they are not these pure defenders who will just like Virgil van Dijk, like, uh, you know, destroy opponents. And I think sometimes, I mean, it shows during <laughs> at set paces. Yeah. Also, I think uh, in, in, in general, I mean, Axel Witzel sometimes in, in midfield just doesn't cover the spaces he's supposed to cover as a number six, whether either he's a bit too slow or he just doesn't see the situation. And, uh, you know, I th I think you're right. The Dortmund's defensive organization isn't good enough uh, to compete for the for the very top. I think, and uh, you know, maybe uh, in 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 this game, conceding two goals is a bit clumsy and uh, not necessarily down to the opponent's quality. But uh, nevertheless, it it happens again that Dortmund always find a way to concede goals somehow. Sometimes it's uh, more stupid, and sometimes it's more down to. Uh, your opponents playing well, uh, but uh, I I think in general Dortmund will uh, continue to concede uh, loads of goals and it will cost them points eventually. Right now they're a bit lucky that they're just outscoring uh, opponents. You know I I mentioned uh, the um, uh, expected goals against per ninety, which uh, has gone up significantly, but uh, also the ex expected goals per ninety have gone up a little bit, at least to. Uh, according to FB ref and uh, that's I think at 2.24 now compared to last season's 2.02 so um it's a, it's a mild improvement also um in this game where Dortmund I think uh, FB ref counted Dortmund's individual expected goals was at 0.9 to Union Berlin's 1.4 but that's because Union Berlin a had a penalty which is I think like 0 0.8 
And then uh, the uh, corner goal was also from very up close. And uh, at the same time, Dortmund, of course, uh, scored one goal via an own goal, uh, which would have been high XG, but just doesn't count that way. So um, it's it's a, it's a bit skewed is what I'm trying to say. So Dortmund's uh, expected goals average would be usually higher if, uh, you know, it, it weren't for the individual events that uh, happened in this game. But uh, yeah, it's... It's interesting to me right now because I feel like Dortmund's um, attacking uh, volition, if you will, has improved. And at the same time, Dortmund's defending is uh, even a little bit worse. Maybe that's also down to the injuries that they had suffered. Um, but up front, I mean, on the one hand, we can talk about Erling Haaland adding another dimension to his game, which is... Um, scoring headers and the other uh, thing is maybe that uh, Jude Bellingham is improving and uh, Dortmund's I think attack is is kind of nice and fluid and this is something I want to talk with you about uh, for a bit um, because I think Marco Rosa has made some slight changes I mean he has introduced a midfield diamond which we've seen for for the most part and uh, I think the system suits a lot of Dortmund players um you know, for example, Daniel Malen, uh, who hasn't even scored or assisted yet, but uh, I like that he played out wide, which uh, allows Guerrero to tuck in inside a little bit. I think Dahoud has profited, uh, especially if he plays the number six and then uh, you have uh, either Hazard or Brandt uh, or Bellingham in the number eight positions. So, Konstantin, uh, we had five match days now in the Bundesliga. We had the first Champions League game, so... The sample size is still relatively small, but stage is yours. What do you think about the tactical changes that has uh, that that Rose brought? Uh, I, f I think there are some goods and some bad. Um, or it, it's really hard to say there are some bad because like it wasn't uh, Dortmund where uh, or had been world beaters before he, he joined um so i mean it's really hard to uh where do we basically send send a uh, set the benchmark here um but like in terms of what you just said i think like the introduction of the midfield diamond worked quite well and uh, we see across the bundesliga and even the bundesliga two uh, several teams that have uh, tried out a midfield diamond i think like uh, a lot of coaches now notice how uh, it can really be helpful to have a, a bit of a more crowded midfield or a crowded center uh, and and you know teaching your players how to um flood their wings more you know dependent on certain situations and you know being a little bit more flexible there i think um overall it also works quite well with dortmund's team or with the players Rosa have um because arena and bellingham are essentially the perfect the perfect second wave um for attacks um particularly uh, bellingham works very well in the in that role he has in a midfield diamond um dahoot can work well in the in the number six role. I think, of course, he's not the you know he's not a typical holding midfielder, um, but I think he could still do quite well there, especially like a, as as a more of a modern type of playmaker, Tony Kroos style, basically. You know where where you don't uh, be the kind of physical force, but you are very smart in terms of like uh, when it comes to your positioning. Um, so when it comes to the players, I think that midf going for a midfield diamond was. Um, a smart move um of course they ha they 
could have been other options and now they are also trying the 433 again which is a kind of a default uh, system for Dortmund in a way um Certainly, I mean, Marlin was, I think, the best move to use Marlin uh, as a as a second striker next to Haaland because Marlin played as a second striker um, next to Sahavi, for instance, um, at at PSV last season. So it's not like something new to him. Uh, Mukuku, of course, is, is should work well in a, in a two man uh, attack. Um, so Royce. I think usually might work better in a number 10 role than on the wing, uh, just because like, I mean, he's still fast and everything, but uh, he's also showing his age at times. Yeah, so but that I being said, like, I think Royce plays a lot of inside, you know, he's not that Yeah, but when, when, winger, he's, when but he's on yes. paper as a winger, you mean? Yes. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Uh, but but still, I just think like the number 10 rule is like perfect for him at this point in his career. You know, like there are different times. There are times like when he was much more suitable to being a left winger, for instance. Um, but right, I think at this point, like the number 10 role might be perfect for him. Um, and yeah, just if, if you look at some of, or a lot of the center midfielders Dortmund have, most of them are like diamond players, more or less, you know, number eights, as 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 often is said in Germany, uh, like Brandt, Reina, Bellingham, Dahoud can be also number eight. So um, Goreo could be number eight if if like if if uh, they need him in midfield. So uh, I think you have these because number eights usually are like uh, you know hybrid players between. Number six, number ten, of course, <laughs> kind of, <laughs> or that's easy math. But you still, uh, like seriously, it, it really is like that, and doesn't have a lot of hybrid players. Um, so I think like going to uh, going for the midfield diamond, a good move. Um, at least offensively, I think what we saw in the first few matches, especially against Freiburg, um, in parts against Hoffenheim, for instance, also was that Dortmund, um, and that's kind of a Rosa issue, I guess, because, you know, looking back at Gladbach's performance last season, um, that the pressing didn't really work well. It was too passive. It was too, like, especially, like, when the first phase of pressing was kind of over, uh, the team just dropped back, uh, stood there in a 4-4-2 uh, or the 4 3 one 2 uh, depending on where Royce was. Royce sometimes, you know, dropped back into the into the midfield line and then, you know, was just a 4-4-2 and was really passive. And, like, we just talked about how Dortmund individually and, like, in terms of pure defending, they are not the best team in the Bundesliga or not even close to being the best team. Uh, so I think, like, defending so deep and being so passive only works if we have, like, a couple of really monster defen- defensive monsters there. You know, if, if you have couple of a uh, couple of these players there sure it can work because then they just can defend like hell um at the edge uh, at the edge of the of your penalty area so you're saying Dortmund uh when their uh, offensive is done playing and they lose possession they need to sub in their defensive line which is then consistent of basically four five or spoke yes Yes, uh, yeah, that would be funny actually. <laughs> um, if you if you just if you just could could <laughs> like like in in an American football style way, you know, you just <laughs> bring on your time out. <laughs> <laughs> Bring out the defense team, yes, of course. Bring out the, the, the D, um, and and just let them work, you know. Just, uh, so yeah. But uh, I I I guess it doesn't really work like that in football, even with five substitutions. Um, yeah. I mean, you can't be that passive. And I was I was watching some of these. Uh, you know, I was watching the uh, Freiburg match. I was watching 
Dolph Mine match it was an exciting one, but still like was kind of this as well for, for, for parts of the match at least, for stretches. Um and I was watching it like I was really surprised by how weak the pressing sometimes was. It was just that you know, got you had Marlin and Holland attacking up front, kind of, you know, standard type of procedure. Uh, maybe Royce was joining in and, and you know, was trying trying to cut off the, the opposing number six um, or even joining uh, Holland and Marlin up front so that they had a line of three there. Um, but once that line was passed, and I mean, that will be passed at times, uh, then just everyone dropped back and, like, they just stood there and watched and, you know, did... I think uh, little Rose, to nothing. Rose has complained about that behavior a little bit every uh, now and then. I don't know if if that's still like some old automatisms from the Favre era ooh, or ooh. not. But but yeah. But the interesting thing is like then I went back to watch some uh, Tlapach matches from from last year. It's the same. It, it, it's almost. I mean, there are some differences because Klappbach they played sometimes with a back free so like systematically you know structurally there are some differences uh, but if you look at the bigger picture and if you just look at you know how they defended and how the way the pressing looked was was more or less the same <laughs> uh, you, you know because then at Klappbach you had like let's say I mean it really depends on the match <laughs> but you had like Turam and player uh, up front and then maybe Stindl in, in the Royce role and these three, you know, they were, you know, they were putting putting the their foot down for for a little bit, <laughs> and then when they were bypassed, um, yeah, the team just dropped back, and then you had you had LVD and Ginter in the middle, you know, trying to fix some things, and you, maybe you had Kramer there, uh, and then Sakari Sakaria was uh, showing some defensive flaws, uh, or you know, whoever Neuhaus also <laughs> Neuhaus even even looked average in some matches, which is kind of telling. Um, so yeah, <laughs> overall, um, and I, and I remember that like I read one, oh no, it was I didn't read it. I actually interviewed Sakaria uh, and, and he told me um, about like when they played against some of the Champions League opponents like Manchester City uh, that he said like when they were in their own half, like when Klapa were on their own half, every, everything was just too fast for them. You know, they were just standing there and everything was too fast. And like, that's kind of not, not you know, not a good sign at least. Uh, and it was of course too fast because when you are very static and you are just you know moving a little bit around, like you know pushing your line from from the middle to the left a little bit because the the opponent moves the ball there and stuff like that. But you don't really do anything. You are very you know you're standing. There's nothing going on. You're not you know there's no dynamic. You can no speed you can pick up on. At, you know, when you have to track down someone. So you are already at a disadvantage in terms of speed, in terms of like just dynamic. Um, so, yeah. Um, and that's the same with Dortmund. As I said, like if they have four virtual fun dykes uh, at the <laughs> back, yeah, of course you can do that. But you don't have to. Uh, you don't have these guys. So you know, you, you have, you're saying Dortmund's solution would uh, or should be uh, yes, more waves of pressing. You know, not just the first wave. Oh, I, oh, and, I thought you were saying like uh, buying free uh, virtual fund dikes oh, for yeah, no, yeah, 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 of eighty million each. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's <laughs> just uh, raise more money via the stock market. <laughs> sure, um, get get some shady investors in there. Like you, you, we we need the oil money. Yeah, here's the um, only problem: there aren't even uh, four virtual fund dikes available. I think. Yeah, that's a problem. Um, yeah, so yeah. That's you know, you don't need you. You, also, you you only would have to clone them. 
um, to be honest, you know, well. if you if you invent the cloning technology, then uh, actually you don't have to sign Van Dyke. You just need like get his genome or whatever and then clone him. Uh, but in the yeah, but but I would like it like in a science fiction movie where uh, basically like it is Virgil Van Dyke's clone, but he is like only like fifty percent capable of what Van Dyke is doing. <laughs> you know, because like he's a, he, the, the clone misses some I don't know some elements, some components. Are, are they, like, are uh, they no. losing uh, power as uh, every time uh, there's a there's a clone? This is a bit like uh, I think the, the yeah, movie yeah, was yeah, called something One like that. with Jet Li. Where he's like going to all alternative universes because every time he kills his alter ego of another universe, he gains power. <laughs> yes, 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 something like that. Uh, okay. It would be funny, uh, but yeah, I, I don't think I don't think the whole uh, virtual fun like cloning thing will work. So, um, yeah, I mean, realistically, like what Dorman could do, of course, yeah, the pressing has to be much more like there has to be a second wave um and also like you have to uh, be more proactive uh, once the first line gets passed so yes but that's, that's feasible essentially what if you have witzel in midfield and hummels yeah. in center in the center of the pitch do, do you it's think, possible or not possible yeah that, that's my question to you do you think Dortmund yeah, can so. uh comprehensively press opponents uh for for a whole game and play with an. an uh, I mean, you got you got a couple of 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 really um, high voltage. Uh, let's 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 use that f- phrase again. High voltage runners like Bellingham, Munier, um, Dahoud, if he wants to. <laughs> um, so Arena, of course, if you know, uh, right now he's injured, but still uh, Emre John. So I mean, you have a couple of these these guys who could usually like bring the kind of energy you need. Um, to do that, I guess. Okay. I mean, over ninety minutes. Uh, there's barely any team in the world that does no. that over ninety minutes. But I mean, for uh, but for, over... for a decent amount of time. I mean, if yeah, Dortmund have enough dead yes. possession as they had against Union Berlin, and say this is like the perfect example where you just have, you know, a game after European night, you have three 0 up, and you just need to keep the ball, uh, then you don't have to press that much. But if you lose it, then uh, of course you should be able to to press a bit more but the uh the problem is that even then Dortmund uh, seemed kind of passive yeah the counter pressing is also and uh, I, I know what you mean like the counter pressing which which should be a huge component of your of your entire um match plan or whatever you know your entire tactical setup um yes it should also be there because just because you are so such a possession-based side, and and you, of course you want to have possession, and you are not shying away from having possession, I guess at this point, um, still, I mean, you you need the kind of counter press that really, um, also, uh, it's also a little bit of psychological wealth warfare here. I say um, so. We need if to you, sign Hansi Flick for that because I thought Bayern did that quite well under him. Uh, yeah, and I think they do. It, they still do it quite okay on the Nagelsmann. Yeah, and but Nagelsmann is not Hansi Flick. You can just get off the national team, no problem. Okay, okay. No, but what I'm trying to say is really that um, I, I think uh, I thought watching the first couple of games, especially including one preseason game that Dortmund's counter pressing, especially, but the overall pressing intensity was up. Uh, under Rose in comparison to to the previous season, but somehow it declined. I I don't know if it's down to the wear already of the season and the many injuries and whatnot that uh, players are not uh, at, the, at their fitness levels they need to be to play this playing style, or 
they've just uh, regressed and uh, I don't know are falling back into to older habits. I don't know what the causation for this Ooh. is, but uh, I'm not sure. I I thought Sorry. that Dortmund would actually improve their pressing under Rose, but uh, now five match days in, I'm not so sure anymore. I mean, there's there's some speculation, of course, involved now, um, and I I'm not sure. I, I don't I don't think the fitness level of the you know the the available guys has dropped that much. I think sometimes at least um, players like or most of the players are maybe a little bit concerned about their gas tank. Uh, because of all the matches they have, I mean, the, the, the schedule is. I think as, the Union Berlin proves as that usual. theory. The way Dortmund played, I because Dortmund can attack their opponent uh, in in a, in a completely different way. I don't know. When I play FIFA and I'm one up and I'm saying this, I haven't played FIFA in like a decade or so. But uh, back in the day, I used to just pass it among the center backs and just uh, see the game out. Uh, which is uh, not fun, but uh, <laughs> it works. And I feel like this is what Dortmund were trying for a good 20, 30 minutes in this game, maybe even longer. So, you know... And, and, and even some matches before that, I, f- I think like in the Hoffenheim match yes. sometimes, I remember th- there were there were phases in the Hoffenheim match where they... Had that position, yes. Were really like kind of kind of like, you know, putting... putting uh, their foot on the brake a little bit, like, you know, kind of, yeah, we will manage this game, you know, kind of roll with the punches a little bit, not to do, uh, not do too much. It, it looked like that. And it's interesting. And I think like sometimes maybe that even happens subconsciously, like where you just want to, you know, save your gas tank because you, in the back of your mind, you, you have like, all right, we play like, Next Saturday, then we play Tuesday, then we have like then we play Saturday, and then we have an international break where most of these guys also play. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I mean, almost all of them. Like, if you look at the starting uh, starting eleven, like all of them play, uh, you know, internationally. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess sometimes I mean they, maybe that's also a factor. Um, not sure, not sure. And I mean, in terms of rotation, um, Rose sticks to. You know, nine, nine or eight or nine guys who are usually playing. My rotation is um, mostly, I feel like, injury driven. <laughs> That's yeah, or ju- yeah. I mean, there's of course there are all the bench players, and like you know, after the 60th minute or so, uh, then new players come on. Um, you know, you got your Mukoku or or maybe it's uh, now Hazard's back uh, in in that kind of spot. So yeah, of course you got your your substitutions, but in terms of starting eleven, I mean, as we just discussed, right? Like the starting eleven you saw against Union Berlin is more or less the best lineup you can have with the current squad. Uh, you can make an argument like Reina maybe for someone, you know. But other than that, I, I don't think there's there's much of an argument right now that there's there could be a better lineup. And I think like moving forward, and that was against Union Berlin. Like moving forward, I mean, there will more or less be the same line- lineup against Gladbach, against Sporting, and so on. So, I mean, wh- when when is the right moment where you will maybe, you know, give Mukuku st- uh, again um, the chance in the, in the starting eleven or Hazard or so? I, I'm not sure. Uh, I think right now Rose is really all about, like, let's let's have our, our starting eleven, you know, set in stone more or less, or basically set in stone. I mean, that's also interesting because at Gladbach, it was a little bit different because he had like 20 players or so, and a couple of these uh, players were, you know, exchangeable. Right. More or less. Like, like you know, uh, Benes 
or um, or Embolo and Playa and Benzabaini and, and Vent and you know like they were all you know good players but I mean there was like Gramer, Neuhaus, Sakaria uh, for two positions in center midfield. I mean, it wasn't. It didn't really matter who played out of the three. I mean, it mattered to some extent, but it didn't really matter that much. Um, and the same with some some other positions. And I think up front, he's just you know switched around things like Turam was playing all the positions <laughs> at times. Um, so yeah, and, and same with Ho- with uh, Jonas Hofmann, right? I mean, Jonas Hofmann played like that position, at that position, at that position, at that position, and didn't really matter. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. But it, he was much more in rotation mode. Uh, back at Gladbach. Yeah, maybe and now it'll, he's it'll just... come at some point, but I feel like he just wants ah. to to work on on stuff on the field uh, with the team he has right now. I feel like he wants to get the automatism with his best eleven down <laughs> before he uh, changes around too much. But I mean, uh, we've already seen the alternation between of the hoops, for example, between six and eight, the introduction of Witzel. Uh, and such, and uh, you know, there there are a couple of tweaks. I, I mean, mostly also forced due to injury. I think uh, if it if if Brand was fit, maybe he would have played, and Dahoud would have uh, played as well. Not Witzel, just a hunch, but I'm not sure. And uh, yeah, I don't know how the situation was if Reiner was fit. So um, yeah, the the starting eleven of of course, uh, like you said, right now is pretty fairly set in stone, but. Uh, you know, it's it's also difficult. You know, you can't give Guerrero a break because Schultz is injured. Um, you you don't want to mess with the Akanji Hummels center back pairing too much, but uh, you had to play Pongracic here now due to injuries, and Hummels is feeling his uh, patella tendon like every game now. So I feel like Pongracic will uh, get uh, plenty of minutes. At some point, you will have to give a break to Akanji and uh, to Haaland. So yeah, it's also funny that Marius Wolf of all players right now is the sort of the first one on the substitution card, and uh, it's uh, almost a bit vexing to me that uh, substitutes right now happen like way after the 70th minute. You know, if you could make a couple of changes here and there after 60 minutes. I think uh, that would maybe help matters as well. I don't know, but but there's also like like maybe to round it up, uh, there also I think right now some bench warmers uh, who who might be on the bench. But I mean, how much like if if I look at the bench from the Union Berlin match, right? I mean, you got Pankratis, Hazar, uh, Wolf, and Mukoku who came on, and then the other options would have been uh, Paslak, who's eh, uh, Rachel, who's I know. I mean, he's there, but <laughs> um, yeah, that's all. Uh, Renier, who's, who's like kind of diff- difficult case, and Ansgar Knauf. So uh, because of injuries, but also because you have some cases, some, some players uh, who have to be rebuilt in a way, you know, like right. I, I at least feel like that, like Paslak, for instance, like you have to rebuild him a little bit after the not 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 so optimal uh, start of the season. <laughs> Yeah, I guess you can say that. So in that regard, Dortmund are pretty lucky that at least Munir is now finding his feet finally. And yeah. uh, I think that's that's maybe one of the most positive developments because it, it means that uh, Dortmund's weakness on the right side uh, that everyone has pointed out uh, so far is uh, at least alleviated to some extent. And, uh, you know, it it's not only gives Dortmund another sort of dimension in the attack, but also means opponents have to react to that now. 
um, which which I really like. That means that uh, other players that play on the opponent's left side are maybe not as advanced as they are in other games because they have to account for Minye playing across to Haaland's head. And uh, I like that. So that's a, that's a good development. Also, you know, as you previously said, Munier is not the... Uh, the the most uh, or the, the the best defensive right back if you will but uh, i think that has improved a little bit at least i think his positioning is a little bit smarter even though it's not a hundred percent how i want it to be but uh, you know you, you can't have everything i guess um but uh, yeah let's move on to the uh gladbach game because uh, you've you know already talked plenty about uh gladbach and uh, yeah it's it's a weird one right now because Gladbach are sitting in 16th place and uh, they had a fairly good game against Bayern in the Bundesliga opener uh, where you could have even argued that they should have gotten two penalties and uh, with that maybe won the game. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. And then they got Schalke by Leverkusen for nothing. Then they lost to Union Berlin 2-1, two, two which was a terrible performance by Gladbach. Um, they had a 3-1 win against Arminia Bielefeld, but then last weekend, uh, yeah, well, it was last Saturday, they uh, were part of the completely unremarkable uh, Saturday afternoon game uh, <laughs> where, uh, yeah, they lost 1-0 to Augsburg and I think they had, what, 69% possession and they had 11 shots but zero on target. And, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, the only shot on target in this entire game was a goal from Florian Niederlechner in the 80th minute. Um, so, yeah. I don't even know where to start with Gladbach, but they're in a really uh, bad place under Adi Hütter. Um, they look, if you watch them right now, very uninspiring and uh, defensively also a bit shaky. So, what can we expect on Saturday with... Uh, you know, all the narrative of Rose returning, yada, yada. Um, but what uh, kind of game can we expect? Because the last time Dortmund traveled to Gladbach, I think uh, it wasn't so great for the black and yellows. Yeah, it's interesting, all right? Uh, I mean, I thought or my, or my biggest concern was when uh, Hütter joined Gladbach. Like, biggest concern in terms of, like, from a Gladbach perspective. You know, just looking at the team, uh, I think, like, uh, Hütter had the most success at Frankfurt um well not the most success but he had success um partly based on just you know a strong striker lineup like all the time Frankfurt had like a couple of of strikers uh who work well be it Andre Silva and Bastos be it uh of course like the Rejevic uh and Jovic and Halea and so on like they were always at least two of often free um strikers and who you know brought a lot of quality to the table and and Hütter really built his system around the strikers even with Kostic's role because Kostic was like the main feeder um so it really worked well in that regard uh, in terms of build-up like Frankfurt was never that great or were never that great um there were times like when when their build-up was horrendous uh to be honest like <laughs> that was really outrageous sometimes how they played uh, out of the back um but they had like this you know this striker lineup um the presence the physicality and also kind of the just uh the capabilities to um even use a lot of long balls and cross passes and diagonal passes um problem is like if you look at Gladbach 
they have a lot of things going for them still uh, if you, uh, when it comes to the squad. But what they don't have is really like outstanding strikers. Marcus Duram is like a good secondary supporting striker. I don't think he's really a center forward. Uh, Mbolo might be a great player. I mean, he can be a great player, but very well, streaky. he's Mbolo. So. Sorry? He, Mbolo, I think, is very streaky. Like, sometimes he hits uh, outrageous yes. goals and then he's, like, nowhere to be seen and misses absolute sitters. I, I just think he's uh, not consistent enough. Maybe he'll be a great striker in five years with a bit more maturity or something. Yeah, but, but I mean, he he is uh, 24, so, I mean, he's, and he has been in the game for quite a, quite a while already because he was fairly young when he uh, came, uh, got to Schalke and so on. I mean, uh, it's really hard because, like, so even, even, like, during the European Championship, like, you watched him for, uh, for Switzerland, and there were matches where he was really strong, but then he, you know, as you said, like, he didn't score the easy ones, and uh, I don't know, then he's injured sometimes, uh, and then he, like, he when he drops off in form, like, he, like there are a lot of players who go, like, from uh, 95% down to 75%, like, with Mbolo, it's like, he goes down from 95% down to 5%, and then he stays there for two matches, and, like, you, you think, like, he's re he's ready to be uh, to be playing for the reserve team again. Uh, so, <laughs> well, I think um, yeah. a, a I big mean, problem for Mbolo is also his discipline. Like, when he drops off, yeah. I, I think he, he just comes way too late to tackles, and then he's in foul trouble quite often. Like oh, he doesn't course. have yeah. himself in yes. that regard. No, 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 not at all. Um, and yes, so so I think like I mean, what are what are uh, Klappach lacking? It's like really a strong striker cast, you know, uh, and the consistent one. Um, and and Hütter really, he built his Frankfurt team around the strikers, adding adding Kostic and like and and adding Hinteregger as like the you know Kostic. Uh, background singer um and, re and it really worked well like with Gladbach it's it's much more Gladbach is much more of a balanced team I mean as we said like Rose uh, had, a, had a very balanced team uh with a lot of players that weren't like key players they were exchangeable and you know he, he rotated a lot and I think it worked well for one year um under Rose um not so much you know second year kind of kind of uh, traveling at times um but overall was is much more of a balanced team and and Hütter right now like I mean he's trying to implement a very dominant style football and they have had matches uh, or a few matches now where they had a lot of possession uh but they are really prone to turnovers I mean against Union Berlin for instance like they made the out they conceded the most outrageous turnovers you can ever imagine like there was there was kind of comical at times how they you know had the ball for a minute but then lost it like in the most inconvenient way ever or so um or just you know or the one goal they conceded off the corner kick they had and they just lost the ball and then you know there we go um so yeah i mean there's this the build-up still looks kind of shaky uh as as expected um they can't really play the vertical style because they didn't they like the the target player up front and Stindl is not the type of player you want to chase after or want to have chase chasing after uh you know loose balls and and rebounds um so well yeah um not good i guess not good um and but that's interesting coming back to the point we j discussed a few minutes ago um i guess because 
Dortmund's pressing has to be on point against Gladbach because why? Because they also are prone to turnovers. You need to be on point there. Uh, then you can really hurt them. And I think that's what you have to do. If you let them play, if you let them have their will uh, to, to an extent, like Hoffenheim had and even Frankfurt had for a while, then I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe you make them even stronger than they are. Um, so, yeah, really, you have to pressure them a lot. Uh, because I have watched them a few times this this year already, and when they are pressured, they don't know what to do. They, they, like the the rescue option is like playing it to Stindl or Neuhaus. <laughs> um, but I mean that that also wor- only works so often, and then it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> you know, because I mean, Stindl is like kind of the Max Kruse of Gladbach in a way. Uh, kind of you you know your your rescue option because he's he's uh, as a technician at least he's he's head and shoulders above everyone else. But um, yeah, he even can then, I mean, himself at, for a couple moments here and there, but uh, it doesn't yes, always of course. come he off. Can, he can you know out. He can outplay you in a, in a telephone booth, but still, uh, <laughs> at some point, you know, Witzel or someone will just divorce him from the ball and that's it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, and even like Stindl is, is 33, so there's also, I mean, <laughs> give him a rest here and there. Um, yeah, I guess uh, just your yeah, pressing has to be on point. Well, in if, that if regard, that's on- I hope the week off really helps Dortmund to... Mm. Uh, <laughs> To get their act back together in in terms of pressing, because um, that's what I'm personally hoping for. Um, I don't know. I I have the hunch that it's going to be another really crazy game where <laughs> Dortmund uh, managed to find a lot of counterattacking goals against Gladbach, but at the same time mm. uh, get lulled in and then concede due to their own passi- passiveness, passivity, whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I I feel like it's going to be a quite similar game to the last trip to the Borussia Park, uh, where it was a back and forth, and I think uh, Gladbach came out of came out on top in the end, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's also interesting to see, because we're recording this on Tuesday, who's even available for Dortmund. Um, it's good to know that uh, Hazard, I think, is back. Uh, I don't know if uh, it, this game will probably still come too soon for Julian Brandt, but maybe he'll be... Uh, available against Sporting. I don't know, but uh, yeah, this uh, this game against Gladbach, I, I think will, if Dortmund managed to win uh, five out of the first six, um, they are on, on a really good path. I mean, uh, what already helps is they are now, I think, eight or nine points out of Leipzig. So at least in the race for the Champions League, Dortmund are on a really good track right now, um, which, you know, it's not unimportant considering how last season went. And uh, Gladbach, I think, are always a strong opponent, even though uh, in, in recent years Dortmund uh, very often managed to beat Gladbach and uh, sort of just overpowered them as Gladbach played sort of to Dortmund's strengths. Um, I, I think this can be a case again. And this Gladbach side right now have a lot of issues with uh, very little confidence. And if you manage to win the psychological warfare... I think then uh, Dortmund can win this game as well. Maybe they score another four goals because I can totally see this Gladbach side giving up four or five goals to Dortmund, just say as as they did to Leverkusen. Because, as you said, they have a turnover problem, and uh, Dortmund are the sort of team that uh, punishes teams for that. So um, that's at least my hope that this will be another four-two, four-three, or something like win for for the Black Eagles. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, but but interestingly, I I guess I mean there would be kind of a success for Gladbach because uh, right now they have been. I mean, they they lost like the the four nil match against uh, Leverkusen, uh, and even the two one loss against Union kind of matches where I mean it would have been better for them to have a crazy match instead of just you know I don't know getting flat out beaten <laughs> fair enough because even the Union match I mean I know the scoreline was 2-1 but it was 2-0 and it was really Klappach tried to do something but they just got countered a counter-attack to death basically for yeah, most I of the game could have probably had four goals in this one yes and and it was and it was two nil at halftime, so it wasn't really a close match because the, the the Hofmann goal came in stoppage time, at the end. So I mean, let's be honest, like they were two goals down for, uh, fifty minutes. So, well, hmm, uh, and and even the Aug- the Augsburg match was like the uh, the Augsburg match was so sad in a way, uh, because again, Gladbach they had over seventy percent, uh, ball possession. Uh, had as you said, like as you as you mentioned, like no shot on goal, um, and also it was like it was like a slow death. It was just there were nothing going on for for Gladbach and uh, Augsburg were just waiting and waiting and waiting and hoping and and you know scratching and a little bit trying and of course their typical style of like uh, I mean be it be it under Weinzel, be it under Markus Baum, be it under whoever uh, is uh, be it under Herrlich, uh, it's like the kind of their style you know it's just uh, yeah it's a, it's you know, a classic pressing, pressing, agonizing loss forward. in Augsburg which Dortmund are very familiar with. Right, right, and, and and now even I think I think Augsburg are even are even uglier in a way because like now they are using Andre Hahn in in center midfield. <laughs> you know Christ. they they use they, yes they are using like kind of their their most athletic guy. Of course, I mean he's yes he's also like he's past thirty now, so he's he might not be as fast as he once was, but I mean he was at at some point he was like there was Aubameyang and Hahn, you know, like battling it out for who's the fastest player in the Bundesliga. So he was incredibly fast. Uh, but still like he has the kind he has that that athleticism and and Daniel Caligiuri who also uh, I mean played as a as a wing back for 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 most of his career or for you know long stretches of his career. He's also playing in center midfield now. So they have two of these guys who are just you know just running everywhere and like just getting on your nerves in a way um and it was like kind of a slow death i mean it was like that the goal that came in the 18th minute it was a i mean kind of it was the most expected one nil goal ever in a way <laughs> it was uh yeah that was a match uh lo and behold uh yeah kind of kind of sad to to watch i mean i would rather watch like dortmund trying to defend set paces uh for 90 minutes you know, like 15 of them, uh, then like watch kind of this slow death type of match that Klapper had at Augsburg. <laughs> yeah, but I've, I've a hunch that uh, the game against Dortmund will be a bit different than, uh, you know, just because Dortmund tried to play an entirely different style. Dortmund want to have, you know, more of the ball is my assumption. So, um, yeah, I think my scoreline prediction will be Dortmund winning this 4-2 to two again. Uh, what, what's yours? Uh, I go with a fairly conservative three-one win. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's it's not that different of a game, I presume. But uh, yeah, we'll see. Ah. Uh, Constantine, you don't know. Well, <laughs> Constantine, thank you so much for coming on. I uh, I think this is all we have time for uh, this week. But we shall be back with the preview of the sporting game, of course, and the review of the 
Gladbach game, which I think will be a lot of fun. And uh, I'm optimistic that there will be a positive outcome for the black and yellows. Uh, Constantine, do you have anything to plug? Yeah, uh, check me out on Twitter, cc underscore Eckner, as always. Um, and check out my YouTube channel. It's just Constantine Eckner there on YouTube uh, for the German speakers. Um, yeah, and I will share most of my stuff on uh, on Twitter. I guess that's like kind of where you will find the most important things. Not not all of them, but a lot of things, you know. Well, I think your Instagram is also uh, worth a follow, but... Uh. <laughs> yeah, follow my Instagram, Constantin Eckner, there also. Um, follow my Instagram. I'm not that active on TikTok right now, but maybe I will at some point. I don't know. But right now, yeah, uh, follow me on Instagram as well. Um, yeah, and follow Stefan on Instagram and follow Stefan on Twitter. Uh. <laughs> Actually, uh, most people can't follow me on Instagram because it's a private account. Uh. I, oh, yeah, oh, I'm sorry, but oh, I, I, oh, oh, what what are you hiding on, under your you know privacy? My private life. Claim? <laughs> <laughs> Not oh. everything. Well, I, actually, I don't. I think I've posted like two things within like a year, or so. Uh, so it's not really that, that interesting. I, I hardly use it. Ever. Right, you're getting most of your life updates from your wife. That's true. <laughs> yeah, she's more active. Yeah. That's uh, so yeah, well. I guess follow her. Uh, but uh, I'm not gonna plug that account either <laughs> because I don't need stalkers of my private life via proxy. I, I just wanted to say like that's a weird way <laughs> you know, just to plug your wife's Instagram. Yeah, I'm not usually. So, that's... <laughs> anywho. Yeah, so don't don't follow her. <laughs> what I am going to plug, however, is uh, my Twitter account at Chefmbotsko and of course our Yellow Wallpot account is at Yellow Wallpot on Twitter and and Facebook. I think we also have a Yellow Wallpot uh, Instagram account, but uh, Jesus, uh, <laughs> I'm never using that. Uh, I don't know. I'm sorry. Why I, not? I'm Why just not? Bad at we we, we need stuff. we need that one. We need Lars in uh, you know kind of we wheeling outfits or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, any, wrap it up. Wrap it anyway, up. if you <laughs> want to see that, I think uh, people need to pay thousands of dollars uh, to our Patreon <laughs> before that happens. Oh, only fans. A oh, oh, uh, yellow wall point. Only fans. <laughs> yeah, not not uh, not quite there yet, but uh, um, yeah, you can you can of course contribute. Are you sure? Yeah, <laughs> I am. <laughs> you can can contribute financially uh, to our show, and uh, it's very much appreciated to uh, Patreon.com/slash The Yellow Wall. And of course, subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and of course, our YouTube channel, which you should subscribe to, absolutely. And uh, yeah, that's that's all for, for this week. Uh, all I have left to say is uh, thank you for listening and goodbye. <laughs>